We the people. We the people of the United States. In the summer of 1787, 55 men would gather in the city of Philadelphia. They were tasked with fixing the government of the United States. Over the next four months, they would debate, discuss, argue, and refine the first document of its kind in all of history, an attempt to show that men can rule themselves by law. This is the story of those men and those times. This is Constitution Thursday, a time we set aside to read, discuss, study, debate, and learn about the Constitution of the United States, what it meant when it was written, why it was written that way, what it means now, and how it affects our lives each and every day. Here's how you can participate. The text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE. That's 565-3283. The email address is dave at thedavebowmanshow.com. And on the web and social media, just search for Constitution Thursday. The purpose of the First Amendment is to encourage and protect open discourse and speech. Everybody should be allowed to come and, 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 and express their viewpoint openly uh, without, uh, without uh, governmental interference, without uh, re- retribution from the government, and so forth. What you're arguing for is um, the ability to do something which uh, uh, ad- ad- admittedly uh, has become... Uh, come under the mantle of speech, but to do it secretly, secret speech. Congress shall make no law, no law, regarding the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assembly and to petition the government for redress of grievances. First Amendment of the United States Constitution on full display in the Second Circuit Court of the United States as we talk about Citizens United versus Schneiderman. Welcome aboard, my friends. It is Constitution Thursday here on Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast, Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. Glad you're with us today from Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, the 18th chapter, says this, The first to plead his case seems right, till the other party examines him. That is a proverb which should have more effect in our world today than it does. Unfortunately, it it, it tends not to. We tend, in a world where everything is, every argument is conducted by memes and, uh, you know, fake news, the the second the second part of that the questioning of things sometimes gets left out and sometimes gets ignored and sometimes we take things at face value without ever really thinking about whether or not they're valid or not and that applies across the board i don't care if you're talking about the president of the united states or your mayor i don't care if you're talking about the washington state legislature as they try to explain why they should have an exemption from the Public Records Act, or whether you're talking about a Second Circuit Court justice who you heard there 
explaining to you what the purpose of the Second Amendment is. There are all kinds of questions here, and there are all kinds of debates and discussions, but one of which should be, anytime someone, particularly a judge, says, what is the purpose of fill-in-the-blank section of the Constitution, it really opens the door for originalism, doesn't it? In other words, the judge, whether he personally is an originalist or not, is opening up a, a discussion as to why we did it this way. What, what drove the framers, the writers of the amendment, to see things necessarily in a way that made this part of the Constitution necessary? Right? I mean, that's, that's what the argument does. And so we turn to the Second Circuit Court, the state of New York, where Citizens United, now that is a name that no doubt you have heard before. If you haven't heard it, you must be living under a rock. Citizens United is the, is the name of a major Supreme Court ruling some years ago that declared speech to be far more universal than it had been understood to be so before that, or maybe it had been understood to be that before that. It really hadn't been thought about in those terms. In other words, what what the Citizens United Supreme Court decision did was make corporations essentially people. It, it, It gave corporations speech and freedom of speech. And so corporations then could give money to political campaigns and have that treated as protected political speech. There are a lot of people who don't like that for whatever reason. And generally speaking, there are uh, the left hates that ruling. But it is somewhat hypocritical in the sense that the left loves union money, but that's because union money comes to it. Whereas it doesn't like corporate money, which tends to go to corporate interest politicians, which, you know, for whatever reason, tend not to be Democrat. And so they have riled, and in fact, uh, we had a major uh, presidential candidate in the last presidential election who made that her, her rally point. She was going to appoint Supreme Court justices who would overturn Citizens United. That was her goal, to get the dark money, to get money out of politics. You know... The irony sort of escapes people. It really does. But it, it, at the same time, there are legitimate concerns about too much money in politics. I've said this myself for years. If you want to fix politics, get the money out of it. That's the, the, the problem with most of the politics is that it's all about fundraising. That's all it is anymore. And then that's what politicians do. They spend time raising money. That's why they don't want to tell you what they're doing, because if they told you what they were actually doing, you might get mad, and that's what happens along the way. At any rate, Citizens United is more than just that case. It is, it is an organization. It is a political organization that seeks to educate and enlighten people via various methods of political engagement. Now, there are actually, in this case, two different Citizens Uniteds. Yes, they're basically the same people in the same place with the same mailing address and everything else, but they're two different corporations. One is a 501c3, which is a pure not-for-profit organization. The other one is a 501c4, which is a not-for-profit organization, but it doesn't have the same limits on a C3. A C3, 
a nonprofit cannot politically act, be active at all. It cannot be involved in politics. Your typical 501c3 is something your church is probably a 501c3, uh, your, your YMCAs, your Red Crosses, United Ways, those sorts of things. That's your typical 501c3. It's an advocacy organization that's seeking to help, educate, enlighten, support, whatever. And it doesn't pay taxes because it, it agrees to certain conditions, one of which of those conditions is that it will not be politically active. Now, 501c3s can raise money. They are required, although I will tell you from my own personal experience in 25 years of working in uh, nonprofit management and financial management, it's kind of a gray area. It's much more gray than than people would have you believe. I, uh, the IRS requires, quote unquote, nonprofits to file an annual what's called a Form 990, and part of that Form 990 is a list of donors who donated to that organization in the previous years. Now, if you think about that, there's probably a valid reason for it. Okay, so you or, I don't know, your neighbor turns in their their 1040 in, you know, the next year, and amongst their 1040, they're claiming a, you know, $5,000 donation or whatever to pick a, pick a nonprofit, you know, Dave's Dave's book collection. Well, if Dave's book collection, which files its 990, doesn't list that donation, the IRS is going to go, wait a sec, eh, something doesn't match up here. Either Dave didn't, didn't report it, or you're lying about your donation. So you can see where there's a valid reason for that. Okay? Now, there's some, as I said, some flexibility on that 990 as to who has to file it, who doesn't have to file it. A lot of it has to do with federal money. Whether or not you take federal money as a nonprofit, it happens. Don't worry about it. It's beyond the, the scope of what we're talking about here. But at any particular rate, the 501c4s, which are nonprofit organizations, but because of some of the restrictions that are put on them, they can be politically active. But they have long argued, these C4s have long argued, that releasing this donor list is problematic. The reason being that, obviously, this is a list of people who donated to a political cause, to a political advocacy group, to a political argument group. And in doing so, they are exercising their free speech in the form of money, given to an advocacy group that then represents their views in in various ways. And their position is very simple, that the releasing of this information to the IRS is bad enough. But now you've got states that want these lists, too, specifically in this case, the state of New York that wants this list, too. The state of New York wants a list of everyone who donated to, to Citizens United, both C3 and C4. They want that list to, quote, unquote, prevent fraud. That's what their law says. It prevents fraud. It prevents corruption. And believe me, when it comes to corruption in political campaigns, there are very few states that can hold a candle to what New York has been through in the last 10 years. The reason New York passed this law, of course, is because they had some issues. So they passed this law. They want these donor lists because, again, they believe that they can prevent fraud 
whatever that means. And it's not to this day, it's not clear what that actually means. This this fraud that they're trying to prevent actually is now. There are any number. I mean, look, I, I worked in nonprofits for years. I'm I'm very familiar with the fact that there are fake nonprofits, that there are fraudulent nonprofits, that there are people who are trying to screw you out of your money. It wasn't that long ago that a major veterans services organization, Wounded Warriors, went through convulsions because of, I hate to call it that, but the the borderline fraudulent way in which they were handling donations. If you recall, their their CEO was making millions and there was only, I think it was 19 cents on the dollar that was going to direct services and the likes of that. Now, look, nonprofits have expenses. They're not their businesses, their corporations. They just don't pay a dividend. And so, hence the nonprofit element of this. And so, I can tell you from my own experience in working for nonprofits with anywhere from $1 to $7 million a year budgets, if you donated to a nonprofit, you need to understand that some of that money goes to those operating expenses, but those operating expenses are the program. In other words, if you have a program that teaches people how to weave, make baskets, and I'm paying a basket weaving teacher to teach people to weave baskets, that is a legitimate program expense. That is direct services to the client. Because some, I mean, the baskets aren't going to teach them how to weave themselves, are they? Right? So there's a lot of a lot of fluidity in this and a lot of misunderstandings and misapplications, but the state of New York wants to prevent fraud by its definition of what that means. And we still don't really know exactly what that definition is. And the way they want to do that, one of the ways they wish to do that is they demand that all nonprofits turn over this 990 that they filed with the IRS to the state of New York, which lists all of their donors to that organization. Okay. You with me here? Now, the second part of what New York has done is, essentially, if you raise money in New York, you have to turn this over. So if your nonprofit only raises money in, I don't know, Pocatello, Idaho, you don't really have to worry about New York. But if you're, if you're sending out direct mail nationwide, if you're making phone calls, if you've got a website, and you're taking donations from New York, you have to turn over your donor list to them, even if, even if under their law... Let's say your your organization, Citizens United, is in Virginia, and you raise, I don't know, pick a number, $10 million a year, but only $75 of that came from New York. Under New York's law, you still have to turn over the, all of those other people, all of those other donor lists, to the state of New York to prevent fraud. Okay, so this is where... This is where it comes in. Are these donor lists protected or not? Is, this, is, is the fact that I donated to a 501c3 or c4 protected speech or not? Now, you could argue that it is. You could argue that it isn't. There is, there's two ways to look at this in a, in, a, in, a, in a broader spectrum. Some would say, well, you have to report it to the IRS anyway, so how can it be private? Except that if you don't, report it to the IRS, if you don't take the deduction, right, then it's still private. 
Likewise, uh, keep in mind that C4 deductions are uh, C4 donations are not deductible. C3 are. So you run into all this kind of, is it protected? Is it not protected? Then you have this other concern of, okay, what is the attorney general of the state of New York going to do with this list of donors, presumably from all around the country who have supported this organization, some of whom are from New York? To prevent fraud, what is the attorney general of the state of New York supposed to do with all this information? Now, you'll be happy to know that the law says... He has to keep it confidential. (laughs) That's what the law says. Mr. Attorney General, you cannot release this information. This must be kept confidential. Okay. Wasn't everything that Edward Snowden touched supposed to be confidential? Top secret? How about these memos that Congress people are writing, Nunez and the other guy, Schiff? Isn't the information in that supposed to be confidential? If I had to make a list of all the types of people that I trust the least with confidential information, uh, elected politicians would be, well, you'd have Russian spies and elected politicians. And I'm not sure. It kind of depends on which day of the week it is, which one I would trust least with our confidential information. I, that's my opinion. I, what's your opinion? 565-DAVE, 209-565-3283. Email Dave at the Dave Bowman Show. I don't trust them. Does anybody? Particularly in a state like New York, where you have an attorney general who is zealous and appears to be, at least on first glance, remember the proverb, the first to present his case seems right until another form comes forward to question him, appears on first glance at least to be zealously anti-conservative, anti-conservative issues. So you'd have to ask the question, well, is he really is he really trustworthy and what happens of course of course with the the idea here is well what happens with this information the attorney general has it the irs has it remember the irs is supposed to keep things confidential too right do they sir rod bones in the chat room says trust no one what happens if a bunch of people who donated to this all of a sudden find themselves i don't know being audited or their businesses being regulated overly regulated you know building inspectors start showing up what happens if something like that starts happening and people who aren't on that list don't see these things happening you know we saw this a few years ago with the irs scandal and conservative nonprofit groups they learned those conservative nonprofit groups learned a valuable lesson in that didn't they which is any information you give to the government is going to be used most likely against you and all of a sudden we had those issues and these concerns start they start building up and this leads citizens united to file a suit in the state of new york saying this law is unconstitutional you can this violates the basics of free speech of protected free speech and you can't no we don't have to give you this list and we're not going to give you this list they said and so it went through the court system the court said Nope, we uphold the state of New York law. And so Citizens United appealed it up to the Second Circuit Court. The Second Circuit Court in panel, that means three people, heard the case where they discussed at length the pros and cons. You can watch the you can actually watch the hearing. It's about an hour and a half long. 
And in all of that, there were a couple of moments, really one, that just really stood out. I played about 25 seconds of it for you there at the beginning of it, but I want you to hear the entirety of the question. Now, this is a Second Circuit Court judge who's going to ask these, he's asking the Citizens United attorneys who are making the argument that anonymous speech should be protected. They are making the argument that these donations to Citizens United are anonymous and that they are protected speech. In other words, the government cannot, does not need to know about them. Does, the, the government has no interest in this. No one does. That's their argument. Now, I don't know, where do you stand on that argument? That, that raises a question. Is anonymous speech protected or not? Is it legitimate or not? Should it be protected or not? This is the judge's, in, this is the entirety of his question. Now, this is about a minute and a half long. And it, it like most justices, he's, he's not quite rambling, but it's like he kind of likes the sound of his own voice a little bit. So listen to what he has to say. Listen to the question now. Imagine you're the attorney standing there in front of the Second Circuit Court. You are arguing that anonymous speech is protected speech. Okay, that it should be protected, that the government has no interest in it. And this is the question that you get. Um, it seems to me there's a kind of oddness in your argument that the, I mean, the purpose of the First Amendment is to encourage and protect open discourse and speech. Everybody should be allowed to come and, 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 and express their viewpoint openly uh, without, uh, without uh, governmental interference, without uh, re- retribution from the government, and so forth. But what you're arguing for is um, the ability to do something which uh, uh, ad- admittedly uh, has become has come under the mantle of speech, but to do it secretly, secret speech. I should be allowed to do secret advocacy um, and not let anybody find out about my exercise of my right to speak, because if they found out about my right to take positions and speak, they might dislike me and 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 subject me to to private taunts and and and. and and, and private private disapproval. Uh, I, there's a kind of oddness about the, the 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 policy of the First Amendment to promote public open discourse, and and your position, which is that uh, that somebody should be allowed to do something that's called speech, but do it in secret so that no one finds out about it. What, what, what about that? So that's the judge's question, and he makes some certain he makes some certainly some assumptions here that aren't quite axiomatic, but again, I said this at the start, whenever a judge particularly says, what is the purpose of fill in the blank section of a constitution? It does open up the concept of originalism. It does open up arguments for the original interpretation, the original meaning of the constitution. And this judge says that the purpose of the first amendment is to promote Speech, specifically in his mind, open dialogue, that the purpose of the First Amendment, the purpose of those words, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, is solely in his mind to encourage discussion, open discussion, and that to him it's very odd, odd, it's a good word, that anyone should want to speak 
politically, protectedly, freely, anonymously. Now again, the first to make his argument seems right till one comes forward to question him. I'm a little surprised in some ways that the Citizens United lawyers dropped this. I mean, they, they, in my view, they dropped the ball on this one big time, but they're going to lose this case. I don't want to, I'm not trying to give you any spoilers or anything, but the Second Circuit Court is going to rule in favor of the state of New York and say that Citizens United does, in fact, have to turn over this information. The, the argument, however, is intriguing. The judge's question to me is not as strange, or to use the word odd, as you might think. Why not? Well, is anonymous speech protected speech? Now, before you jump on that answer and say, yes, it is, Dave, or no, it's not, Dave, I want you to think about it for just a moment. Think about what the judge asked. Is the idea that I should be allowed to anonymously speak politically, should that, in fact, be protected under the First Amendment? You might automatically, particularly if you're like me, if you are libertarian-leaning, I am not a member of the Libertarian Party, but I am libertarian-leaning, you might immediately go to the answer, well, of course it is. What kind of moron would think that it isn't? And if you are a studier of the Supreme Court, you would clearly go to, well, Dave, of course it is. Blah, blah, blah. Talk about it in just a second. You might jump to that. And if you are non-libertarian leaning, if you are more on the progressive side of things, you'd say, why should it be? Why, 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 should, it, why should you be allowed to speak privately and hiddenly, as the judge is kind of asking there, because you're afraid that someone might retaliate. Well, isn't retaliation a valid fear? Isn't the fact that that my neighbor might somehow retaliate, isn't that a legitimate fear? In, In one of the original cases dealing with these kinds of lists, the NAACP down in the state of Alabama was being compelled by the state of Alabama to release its donor list. And their argument was, are you out of your mind? If we put out our list of people who are donating... And this was, you know, back during the civil rights era. If we were to put out our list of people who are donating, do you know what's going to happen to some of these people? And the court went, yep, you're right. Yep, you're right. You shouldn't have to release your donor list. Later on, when that same argument came up again in front of the court, the court rejected it and said, but but there's no legitimate fear of retaliation like there was in the NAACP case. You're not really afraid that people are going to burn your house down burn crosses on your lawn, throw bombs through your church. You're not really afraid of that. That's not a realistic thing here like it was in the NAACP case. But what happens when retaliation is from the government? What happens when it is the government passively, aggressively retaliating? Is that not a legitimate fear? And given the activities of Citizens United as a whole... We had a major presidential candidate who made it her policy that she was going to seek judges who would overturn this case and punish them. Is that not a legitimate concern that the government might find itself in a position of doing these things? Those are 
I think those are legitimate questions, but it still doesn't answer the real question. What is going on here? So the major ruling that's used in dealing with this is is a case called McIntyre versus Ohio. This case actually goes back to uh, the mid-90s, 1995-ish, and the facts of the case are pretty simple. A a gal by the name of Margaret McIntyre didn't like some of the uh, proposed taxes for schools that were being proposed in the state of Ohio. And so she printed up pamphlets and handed them out. Right? (laughs) Okay. That's it. She just printed up pamphlets, handed them out, said, don't vote for the school tax. And the state of Ohio sued her and charged her with violations of, of, of some of the Ohio laws regarding campaign information, specifically that the distribution of campaign literature that does not contain the names and addresses of the person or campaign official issuing the literature, they, fi- they find her, they found her guilty, they found her a lot of money. She appealed to the first court. They reversed it. They said, are you crazy? That's protected speech. That's free speech. Nope. The Ohio Court of Appeals then, it was appealed above by the, by the state, said, no, the state is supreme. The state is absolute. The state is sovereign. She's guilty. So it went to the appellate court. It went to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court of the United States agreed to hear it. And you want to talk about an argument and a half. I mean, uh, the, the list, well, the list is described as extensive of what was known as amicus briefs. These are briefs by both sides who are arguing without actually being the lawyers. And so they're submitting all these briefs to the, to the judges who are then reading them and going, well, yeah, that's a good point. Or no, that's a bad point. Or this is a good point. Or that's a good bad point. Trying to influence the judges. Okay, the Supreme Court ruled that the 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 problem was, well, they didn't really get to they didn't really get to do it because she died, sadly. But they did establish a rule in the midst of all this. There were later cases of defamation that were anonymous. There were later cases of of issues, but in the process of this, the Supreme Court established a a three-part rule for anonymous speech. Sorry, I did that twice. If you're watching on video, I'm not trying to. It's just natural hand movements. Number one, the court said that anonymous speech was important for three reasons. One, because it enhances authority. Think about that for just a moment. Anonymous speech enhances authority. Now, I tend to take an opposite approach, especially in today's world. When somebody writes something on the interwebs or on the paper and they don't put their name on it, my initial reaction is to say, that's BS. My initial reaction is to say to it, put your name on it. If you're so sure that's right, put your name on it. But the court disagreed. They said it enhances authority. Anonymity, anonymity provides a way for a writer who may be personally unpopular to ensure that readers will not prejudge the message simply because they do not like its proponent. And there's some validity to that. And as I think about my own life, I realize that's true. If I were to read, if I knew that I was, there are reader, there are writers that I just won't read. I don't read their stuff. I don't care. But if I didn't know who was writing it, and they wrote something that, I mean, how often do we see these videos from the folks who go out and put a microphone in somebody's face, and they read Trump's, tax plan to, to, to Bernie Sanders supporters, and they tell them it's Bernie Sanders' tax plan, and they're all for it, 
until they find out that it's Trump's plan. Then they go, no, I'm not doing that. That's terrible. They're all for it when they think they know who wrote it. But when they don't know who wrote it, 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 it's strange. So there isn't an, there is an element of enhanced authority. Number two, the court said that anonymous speech encourages open discourse. The interest in having anonymous words enter the marketplace of ideas unquestionably outweighs any public interest in requiring disclosure as a condition of entry. And thirdly, and perhaps as Citizens United most vociferously argues, it provides safety from retaliation. The decision in favor of anonymity may be motivated by fear of economic or official retaliation, by concern about social ostracism, or merely by a desire to preserve as much one's privacy as possible. In a society where privacy has become virtually non-existent, the idea of posting anonymously or writing anonymously or speaking anonymously raises that specter, doesn't it? We had a story the other day here in Seattle, talked about it on the show, I think, last week, about an author, a prominent author. That's how she was described, who called the Seattle Times and said, there's a Confederate battle flag hanging on the street corner over here. You might want to, might be a story, might not. Turned out it was a Norwegian flag. And an interesting thing happened after that. People started Googling her name and, and looking up information on her. Now, I think she did it on purpose because maybe book sales were down. Maybe she wasn't in the new, who knows? But let's say she hadn't been a prominent author. Let's say she had been your grandmother. She wants to remain anonymous because she's concerned about social ostracism. She's concerned about her privacy. Those are legitimate concerns, I think. The real question in this comes in with the concept of whether or not donating money is anonymous speech or not, doesn't it? Is it? According to the Supreme Court and Citizens United, giving money is political speech. They didn't really address whether or not doing it privately or not, anonymously, seems to matter. Now, for what it's worth, there are some interesting opinions about whether or not anonymous speech is protected or not. Justice Thomas is very much, very much hardcore believing that anonymous speech is protected. He is just almost setting, I mean, he's just a pillar of belief that anonymous speech should be protected. Other justices kind of agree with him, some of them don't. But the great conservative icon justice, Justice Scalia, who has passed on, and I realize, you know, he's not really involved in these decisions anymore. But justice, and and the reason he's, that'll become apparent immediately here, Justice Scalia's opinion, again, the conservative icon justice, the the justice we on the right hold up as the example of everything we believe in in originalism, he believed that anonymous speech was baloney. That if you were going to put it out there, you should have the courage of your convictions to put your name on it. And if you didn't, you were either a coward or should be ignored. And Justice Scalia made it clear that he did not support the idea that anonymous speech should be protected. I don't know if that changes your mind or not. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. State of New York went through a lot of convulsions. You may have heard something in the news about 
uh, this reaching all the way to the Speaker of the House of State of New York, with people giving money to political campaigns in shady ways. And the State of New York reacted to this in 2016 by passing laws ostensibly to stop these donations, to prevent fraud, I guess defined as election fraud, I guess defined as uh, politicians taking mo- politicians taking money that they shouldn't be taking. And they put these laws into effect that required all of the nonprofits, all of the 501c3s, 501c4s in the state of New York that operated in the state of New York to turn over their donor list so that the state attorney general could look them over and go, yeah, this politician's on the take, that issue's on the take, whatever. That's the theory here. Immediately, there were lawsuits filed. The ACLU filed a, a the first suit against this law claiming it was unconstitutional and agreed, I guess, to arbitration. It's kind of hard to find out where they where they agreed to. But eventually, the, the, that's the, the, the ACLU lost this case. Citizens United has now filed this case, and now they have lost this case. The court ruled, by the way, this is what the Second Circuit Court said about these issues. While we think it plausible that some donors will find it intolerable for law enforcement officials to know where they have made their donations, we see no reason to believe that this risk of speech chilling is more than any which comes with any other disclosure regulation. So in other words, they did not judge the possibility of chilling of free speech because of the idea of official retaliation from the government to be any more than handing it over to the IRS would be. The court also found reason to believe that New York and its attorney general, specifically Eric Schneiderman, a Democrat, quote, enforce the disclosure reg- requirement in anything but a uniform content neutral fashion. And even as a conservative, I would have to sit here and say that certainly appears to be the case. I mean, the ACLU and other liberal groups are subject to the same requirements. Every nonprofit raising money in the state of New York, is subject to the same requirement. Is that a violation then? Is is that an, an unfair treatment? Is there an element here that says, well, somehow or another political speech is being... Has anything happened yet to say that political speech is being chilled while education speech is not? It may be as simple as Citizens United has jumped the gun here. That may be as simple as that in the sense that nothing, the law has just gone into effect. This, uh, In fact, they suspended the law while they were arguing the ACLU side of this. And that only recently was released. I think it was in January. And so literally, we're still in tax season. We really haven't seen any any action yet because of this it may be preventative in nature in other words they may be trying to stop it before it stop it and it's you know nip it in the bud but the reality is there's nothing really happening yet and if we are in fact applying it across the board is there reason to think that there will is there any evidence that schneiderman is going to retaliate against anybody who donated to citizens united specifically Those are the questions that the second court looked at and said, no, 
There's nothing wrong with this. It's no more chilling than than our requirement that you give it to the IRS, which we've upheld before. And so there's no evidence that Schneiderman's doing this. We find for the state of New York. Now, of course, Citizens United could could pursue this up to the Supreme Court of the United States. Likelihood of cert, Zeratori, is... I don't know how to read this one. I don't know if the Supreme Court would want to hear this or not. I really don't. Um, if you'd asked me this 24 hours ago, I would have said, of course they would. But because liberals would look at it as an opportunity, again, to rail against the original Citizens United decision. But now I'm not so sure. Having read through, uh, I hadn't read the seconds ruling at that point. But, but their logic, while it makes me uncomfortable because I don't trust government officials with confidential information. I just don't. I'm sorry. The fact of the matter is they haven't done it yet. And if they haven't done it yet, what's the basis for saying they're going to other than other idiots have? It might chill anonymous speech. It may. It might have an effect on fundraising. If you're a donor to Citizens United, are you going to be a donor again knowing that the state of New York is going to have your information, that the state of New York is going to have a database with your name and address, regardless of where that is, in there, and who knows what happens with that information? How do we know that database doesn't make its way to wherever you are? The state of New York wants your name, regardless of where you actually live. That does make it questionable to me. Then you still have the McIntyre test over there. You still have that three-point test. You know, you still have this idea of w- whether that speech has authority, whether that speech is, uh, is uh, encouraging an open discourse, and whether it, it is keeping you safe from retaliation. All of those things enter into those questions. But I go back to what this judge asked at the very beginning. This is an odd argument, he says, an odd argument that you want to have secret speech, that you want to have protected speech where we have no idea who you are. And whether you agree agree with Justice Scalia that if you're going to put your opinion out there, you should put your name on it or not is really not all that relevant to me. But I would remind you in closing of one fact. Anonymous speech is an American tradition. Anonymous speech in the United States goes back to the very beginning. Don't believe me? Well, ask a guy by the name of Publius, Cato, the Federalist Farmer, or John DeWitt, what they would have said, the value of anonymous speech was they would tell you it was very important it's constitution thursday see you next time everybody constitution 
Constitution Thursday is a Slippery Fish Entertainment production for the Podcast 99 Network. Copyright 2018, all rights reserved. For more information or to hear past shows, log on to ConstitutionThursday.com or Facebook.com slash Constitution Thursday. 